birthday to us. Happy birthday. Oh, should we do it in the style of Pink Floyd? Oh, how would you do that? Oh, God. Happy birthday. <laughs> to all of us. <laughs> Hello and welcome to this very special episode of Movies, Music and Madness. Uh, my name's Martin and today is the first anniversary of the show. And, uh, and joining me tonight as always we have Ian, David and Glenn. And mm -hmm. tonight's episode is focused on an album that has just celebrated an anniversary of its own. 50 Years of Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd, which was released on the 1st of March 1973. How are we all doing guys? We've done one year. One we year. are a year old. This is in. awesome. That's so much. Yeah, I reckon. I'm really <laughs> stoked. Well, we're still talking to each other. We are. Yeah, we've spoken to each other a lot. <laughs> and and the fact that we're still enjoying this, putting it down every week for you listeners, and we're loving it. Well done. Absolutely. It's been a long work. Been a long year. It has not. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so tonight, yeah, we're we're. we're deep diving into into the world of Floyd and the dark side of the moon. By the way, I need to point out that Glenn is our resident Floyd expert. If, if, you, if you're a regular yeah. listener to the show, I, you'll know that. Martin, you're a brave man hosting this with Glenn. <laughs> Glenn there. You've got, he's I, got some balls. The spectre <laughs> of Glenn Thurston hangs over you. I, um, I look, I, I, I took myself out of the running because I didn't really want it to necessarily be a complete nerd fest. Um, so I thought you were going to say you don't like Pink Floyd anymore. No, and I've been dialing it back for the last year, everybody. I haven't really talked much about Pink Floyd at all in the last year. If Dave Gilmore and Roger Waters had a baby, it would probably be Glenn. Oh, what a could, grumpy could old kid that would be. In this day and age, it could happen. What a grumpy kid. It is the third best-selling album of all time having sold an estimated 50 million copies. Fourth. Fourth the best time. Fourth. You better get on that Wikipedia. It's gone down. Yeah. There you go. Well, oh. 50 million's not bad. No, no, no. It's, it's pretty decent. I'd settle for fourth. <laughs> um, number two, on a slow week, between eight and 9,000 copies are sold, and Glenn only buys six a week. Yeah. In the UK, it was kept off the number one spot on its release by a compilation album. Oh, uh, 20 flashback greats of the 60s. <laughs> well, bugger me. That's brought Jeez. a bit down to earth. <laughs> <laughs> just a bit, just a bit. Oh. Uh, an estimated one in every 14 people in the US under the age of 50 is estimated to own or to have owned a copy. And that's under 50 outside of the target audience grade as well. Wow. Um, as of March 2023, Dark Side of the Moon had spent 972 weeks on the Billboard 200. I album. saw that, like something like 18, 19 years. 
That's just nuts. <laughs> since 1890. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, since 1890. That, that is nuts, isn't it? 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 it is the longest charting album of all time. By quite some margin, too. Yeah. It's, it's a gift that just keeps on giving. Well, like if there's rumors. someone, like 9,000 copies on a slow week being bought every blimmin' week, I'm not surprised, right? Absolutely. Yeah, a lot of people it. wearing out their copies, obviously, needing to replace. Mm. Uh, so if anyone saw our, um, our Facebook post uh, earlier in this week, uh, in the 1990s, it was discovered that playing Dark Side of the Moon alongside the 1939 film The Wizard of Oz produced moments of apparent mm. synchronicity, and it's, it was suggested that this might have been intentional. Well, the band have all said, nah. And, <laughs> it's, it's has anyone fun. ever done it? It's anyone ever fun. tried it? Yeah, totally. Yes. It's on YouTube. Though. Yes. Yeah. Oh. yeah, it's it's total coincidence, but that's all it is. But it is cool. It like is the, quite fun. It, it it's is only cool. one part. Yeah. It's one part for that. me when she was balanced on the um balanced on the fence and then she falls off and it's like balanced on the biggest wave and it's like, oh, oh that links. It was the lunatics on the grass. The lunatics and on the grass. Scarecrow. And you've got the yeah. scarecrow dancing around like a blooming nut job. Mm. Yeah. 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 Uh, the band would frequently disappear during a recording sessions to go and watch Monty Python's Flying Circus. Um, and some of the profits from their album sales were invested in the production of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Did they try and get Paul McCartney at some point to come in and, and help? He is on the backing with he, something. Well, or... never, got, never got actually put out, right? He, was... yeah, he got cut. Um, and the yeah. reason why he got cut is um, he was performing too much. Whereas the other people, they just answered a bunch of, asked a bunch of questions, which were like, oh, when was the last time um, you were violent? Or that was one mm. of them. And there was a whole bunch of other mundane sort of questions. And when they interviewed Paul, because they were doing Band on the Run, I think it was. David mm. will be able to give us an update on that one. 73, David, Paul McCartney. Um, oh. Yeah, and his answers were too, too staged. You know, he was playing mm. up to almost like to the camera or the... So they were like, nah. that sounds more like but, it. I, I heard somewhere that Henry McCulloch's wanna... on it. Henry McCulloch's yeah. on it. Yeah, that does that does sound like Paul. Yeah, yeah. Um, got it here actually. I, mean, I was watching the next fact. It says that interviews on the album appearing sound clips were conducted with members of the band's crew. Uh, Paul and Linda McCartney were also interviewed, but they were deemed to be trying so too hard to sound funny <laughs> and were dropped from the album. <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> And the ordinary people were much more entertaining. Far more entertaining. Far more uh, enlightening as well. Um, and the famous cover artwork was designed by Storm Ferguson and Aubrey Powell. The design reflected keyboardist Richard Wright's desire for something smarter, neater, and more classy than the previous albums, and simple, like the artwork on a box of Black Magic chocolate. Hmm. He also said, don't give us any more of those <laughs> shitty photos. <laughs> oh, no more totally. cows or pigs. I got yeah, a question yeah. for Glenn. I got a question for you, Glenn. How many attempts or takes did it take Alan Parsons to get those bloody clocks all lined up? I would imagine forever. <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, it would have taken quite some time. There, yeah, he, there was he no actually organised it. Yeah, yeah. No loops back then, mate. Amazing. It's the fact that each, yeah. and also it wasn't just like, he went into a shop and all those clocks were set to go off. He mm. recorded every one individually. So he had to mix oh, them all in that, individually. And that's them, painful. Yeah. Yeah, that totally. is so painful. Yeah, you've got to have OCD tendencies to do that, don't you, really? Yeah, I would have thought so, yeah. Yeah, you've got to be out there. Yeah. 
So anyway, we're going to dive into the album now. And what we've decided to do is we've divided it up between the, between the four of us. So we've each taken a couple of tracks each. What I thought we could try, talk about each track to the length of the track so that you get a running commentary. So if the people at home want to put the album on, well, yeah, oh, I was going to spring it on you. <laughs> that would, would be yeah. such a good idea. All right, no, so, no. We can no, no, we got, can still this. We can still this. Who's got us in there? Me, me. <laughs> yeah. Oh my like, god! You've only got seven and a half, seven minutes, fifty seconds. To talk. <laughs> okay, so who's got? Uh, who's going to kick? Yeah, no, it's a great idea, actually. All right, speak to me. One speak minute five. Yeah. It was a compilation of a whole bunch of cut-ups and loops put together for um, an opening. Starts quietly with a heartbeat, and then builds and builds with loads of noise and other stuff, and then boom, and we're into breathe. Um, bit of a nothing track, but it builds up, builds up. I mean, for the first so on, you know, 30 seconds, you hear nothing. Um, except for this heartbeat that gets louder and louder. Um, unusual way to start a record. Right. Breathe. But it also finishes the record like that, doesn't it? Which kind All of right. brings me to, what is this record about? Does anyone know? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so what are we doing here? It could be. Ask it could Roger. be. <laughs> number of things yes but um should we just go into breathe first and then we'll get to it i've got uh i got breathe dark side for me i think one of the reasons i love the album so much is is for the they're like the entirety of the album i love the whole album Mm, so to, mm. to break it into songs was i found really quite hard um anyway and I, I don't have the vocabulary to sort of probably do it that much justice. So I thought I could do most of my review from a musician's perspective on, 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 on like a musical breakdown. So the first song of the album uh, is Breathe, which I have got. And it comes in with one of these wonderful... I hope they get, I hope the microphone picks it up, but yeah, it did really well. Yeah, so the the song is in the key of uh, E minor. It's it's an E minor add nine. We call that, which is quite a bit different to a normal E minor. Okay, and that's quite important, I think, for the structure of the song, the sound of the song as well. So the song's quite. It's quite a jazzy kind of progression. Uh, I've done a little bit of Google research on this, and, and that comes from uh, most of that comes from Richard Wright and his influence with the song, because uh, I think he was the only one in the band that was sort of formally trained musically, mm-hmm. like he had some right. proper, yeah. And I think probably like the album cover, he thought, well, let's do something, you know, along those lines. So you're getting into sort of the jazz progressions, which are the two five one progressions, which you find a lot in jazz, uh, it's in a Dorian, what we call a Dorian mode, which comes from the the add nine. Um, Dorian makes it different. So if it was just in the, in the E minor key, your E minor scale would be. Uh, 
through Spanishy. Right, more Spanish sound. If you make it more of a Dorian kind of mode, which fits with the E9 sound, you're getting into a very jazzy. Different sort of sound, right? Dave Gilmore sort of sound, mm. bending semitones. So yeah, very very tasty sort of stuff. You'll find Dorian's used in stuff like James Bond. Those kind of kind of dark sounds, but also not quite as dark as a like I say, just a normal minor scale. So it gives it more of a jazzy. Uh, sound it's got real lovely uh, harmonies I'd imagine they're three-part harmonies are they from the three Dave Rick and um, the other guy Roger yeah it'll be just Dave and Rick on that one just Dave and Rick sounds like yeah. there's a lot of vocals yeah there was a lot of layers put onto this record it's mm. pretty it's pretty dense yeah it's a dense record isn't it yeah really good, really dense the song's about an older man speaking to a baby telling it to sort of breathe is that true um i think it depends i think that's really interesting he tried to be really direct with the lyrics on the album and mm. um i think by making them super direct i think it means that people can take them wherever they want to be so yeah potentially um and it's also about breathing the air, don't be afraid to care. I mean, it mm. sounds very basic, but actually it's about don't be afraid to care for things. Yeah. Be, be true. That's, I think uh, the next song that I review, I touch on a few other things which come into this song, probably come into the whole album for me, because from, a, and, and looking at it from a musical perspective, uh, which I just find really i find the whole album really really nice to listen to it's, it's really nice it's nice on your ears it's nice with the chords it's melodic beautiful harmonies cracking solos all the way through it um i i i think and i'm not a massive before dark side sort of, i don't know heaps of their stuff really well but i think that they're, they're definitely at a peak or coming to their They've found their voices maybe at this point. They're definitely on the game, right? There's not one song that drops, I don't think. So lyrically, it's incredible. Yep, you could take several, several things out of breathe, breathe in the air. Beautiful words, you know, uh, Roger Waters. Um, yeah, so that's that was my take on breathe. Uh, great way to start an album. Far out. Yeah, it's yeah. about two, it's about two minutes or more into the album before you hear anybody sing. Mm. So yeah, it's big quite intro. a long, long, long time, eh? And well, I think you have it's that level of space in the album, eh, which is so cool. Yeah. That that probably leans itself a little bit to that jazzy thing I was talking about. Those mm. kind of jazzy chords, that Miles Davis sort of stuff. You can really improvise around those simple chords. Um, it's interesting what you said about like their their earlier stuff because it definitely was like a, a shift in in stylistically for the band as well and that they kind of went away from kind of like the 
kind of more noodly kind of solos where they had like mm. extended long solos and jam session type things to making those so- solos like really concise but really impactful you know so i think as, as a whole although it's a sprawling album and a, and a fast in scope album it's actually really yeah. concise in terms of the playing on it yeah they're not noodling are they Here, here's an example of the of the middle eight which is a really fantastic sort of example of gilmore and how he plays stuff so really really simple but also quite difficult so at, he breaks the middle eight he goes to the the c7 and to make that nice he at, he drops the the g over the c which gives it a much warmer a big big sound to the b minor seven to the f suspend f6 i think to the g6 to this lovely jazz chord beautiful chords very very tasty chords so not a simple song it sounds simple to your ear but i think that's the magic of the whole album it's not simple mm-hmm. at all yeah awesome thanks for that okay so moving on so the next track on the album is on the run the album sort of lulls you into that sort of um sort of serene sort of chords and everything sort of like chilled out you know may have um, for a lot of people they would have stoked it up and then all of a sudden you're into this tracks called on the run so it's a really um it sort of lulls you you know you're in that space and then suddenly you're in this crazed sort of demented sort of moment where you're suddenly everything's spinning and you're tripping out big time <laughs> um um and that's created um all through since they had a piece called the travel sequence um um prior to that which was sort of a jammy sequence when they played it live and it really wasn't gelling for them at all. Um, so again, new synthesizers that had come in on the VCS5 and a synth A. And it just started out as, um, I think it was Dave that put in five notes and or eight notes and they sped it up. And then they created the drones and everything around it. Roger came and went, that's cool. Did it again and it was better. It's um, an arpeggio. It's an arpeggiator, is it? Is that what it is? I have no yeah. idea. Yeah. Martin might know what that is better. So it's basically so just take... you can basically program in like a sequence of notes in a set mm. order, and then it just repeats. It just loops, but you can adjust the speed and do cool stuff to it, and that's exactly what it did. And that's exactly it. And it's kind of the sound of maybe what the future was going to bring, actually, with all of the synths and sort of sampling and all sorts of different things. So they really were using the most out of uh, what Abbey Road could actually was available so someone described um this album is the sound of abbey road um at that time um Um, which is probably a good description of it we had pepper earlier and then suddenly you know dark side of the moon is probably that other key sort of album that defines or you know when you think of abbey road you definitely think of this i also read that 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 particular track on the run it was um richard wright's it was inspired by richard wright's fear of flying yeah, that's right. So 
Uh, David asked a really interesting question earlier. What's it about? Well, actually, in some ways, it's about all the things that pressures of modern life that can drive you a bit crazy or a bit mad. Um, also, things to necessarily avoid as well. So don't let these things drive you crazy. But yes, On the Run is about travel, um, the sort of the rat race of modern life. And, you know, probably it's even got more so since 1973. Imagine if we went back in time, 1973 would be really slow. Um, and it's it, it probably is. Um, but now it's even more so. So that whole fear, and then obviously with the plane crash at the end, um, yeah, pretty pretty interesting and quite quite different from breathe different song i mean who who writes songs like that who just you know not many people <laughs> write songs with just noises yeah <laughs> yeah but they used so, um they used the technique um which was uh it was developed kind of like in the in the 50s um, and 40s by um a guy called pierre Schaeffer, a, a french composer and it's called they call it music concrete um, and it's basically taking like an everyday item and it was basically the birth of sampling. It was taking like things like a typewriter or, a, you know, um, a, a jet engine or whatever and basically processing it and turning it into something that was either rhythmic or melodic that you could actually incorporate into a piece of music. So it uses that technique quite heavily. Yeah. I don't I know think what's really interesting about this album is that every song bleeds into the next. Um, and I'm sure if back then there was an LP that could run for 45 minutes or whatever it is, they would have preferred to have done it all on one side. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You're Rather bang on the money. Yeah. Um, yep. However, just, I think in this, yeah. uh, some ways having the break and also having it limited to 44 minutes was probably a damn good thing. Um, otherwise it could have got, you know, could have got bloated. Uh, so I think that whole idea of, limiting yourself to 40 minutes 45 minutes is a damn good thing for artists say so. mm. it doesn't seem like a short album when you play it well, nice no, it filled, filled there's a lot of space in it it's what's mm. not played is also really important in their stuff yeah so moving on um i got the third track on the album which is probably one of the most famous tracks from it um uh, which is time So time, yeah. So the song, the lyrics uh, deal with the passage of time. And um, Roger Waters, who, who wrote it, got the idea when he realized he was no longer preparing for anything in life, um, but was right in the middle of it. Um, he described this realization taking place around the ages of 28 or 29 in various interviews. Um, it's noted for its long introductory passage of clocks chiming and alarm bells ringing. Um, each, as we mentioned earlier, each clock at the beginning of the song was recorded separately in an antique store by Adam Parsons. Um, these clock sounds are followed by a two-minute passage dominated by Nick Mason's drum solo, uh, where he uses a type of drum called a rototom, um, which gives this really kind of, it's really um, attacking kind of a, a, um, thick kind of drum sound. Um, and the tick-tock sound which is actually, was actually um, Roger Waters picking two muted strings on the bass guitar. Just going, um, yeah. Um, 
The, the track also includes a reprise of, of Breathe from earlier on in the album. And it's also the only song on the album to credit all four principal members for songwriting. And it was the last to do so in the band's discography. Oh, that's interesting. I thought, mm. Mm. thought Roger Waters wrote it all. No, he wrote he wrote all the lyrics, um, but really to pull off his concept, um, they, he, you know, he needed everybody, and at that time everybody was working and working well. Mm-hmm. You know, you you said, "Does this is this a band at the top of the game?" Yeah, it is. Um, it really is. Awesome. Okay, Here comes an epic, the great gig in the sky. So it's an instrumental. Um, for those that don't know it too well, it's the end of side one. Um, concept is really a reflection of death and the afterlife. Um, you know, the title suggests that, um, you know, it's a journey to the final destination or the gig in the sky. Um, and the, all the emotional intensity that goes with that, um, is sort of conveyed through, um, some pretty outstanding vocal um vocals that i know glenn you've touched on in previous podcasts recently i will get into a little bit but can, um can you can you sing a bit for us dave oh or? mate uh yeah <laughs> 30 pounds mate yeah <laughs> yeah it's a um structurally the sound song's pretty straightforward compared to the one you had ian this is a um a g major mm. a minor deal <laughs> um repeats it's quite cyclic um which i think is intentional and has um a multitude of instruments all over the place on this thing from a hammond organ it's got the synthesizers i would have thought pink floyd would have been one of the first synth bands um out there right i mean 1973 that's pretty early um yeah i mean there, there's kind of like Probably the, the first to kind of like really use it as like a primary instrument, one yeah. of the first to do yeah. that. I mean, it was often used as just the sound effects and that kind of thing mm. in the background, the soundscapes and stuff. But yeah, I think definitely is like, it's like a actual like lead instrument or whatever. Yeah, definitely. yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is that song that has that wonderful um, Rick Wright piano uh, part in it. And it is beautiful. I've, I remember seeing him. Mm. I've got an image not from but off the pulse concert when he's mm-hmm. just the low lights are on him and he kind of almost looks nervous and worried but oh shit he's good yeah i mean it, it's probably the closest they got to gospel <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah, like... yeah yeah i think you're right yeah it is it's got that definitely got that gospel sound i'm gonna play a little bit of it now saying she um she was basically told to just come in and here's the music have a listen and just sing whatever comes to mind yeah 
Um, they just gave us some <laughs> loose directions, and that's what like, comes to mind. They said, "Put some emotion into it," and she thought she she thought she'd maybe have gone a bit too far. Yeah, <laughs> apparently walked out in tears. I read somewhere she was so she was devastated. She thought she'd done a rubbish Ooh. job, and they didn't. They're not, you know, they weren't very good communicators. I think that's quite clear. Um, and they were like, more like. She walked down. They're like, "Oh, wow. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. That's what we wanted." Um, so, oh, uh, that's yeah. She blew them away effectively. Mm, but then didn't, about but, that. But, but then didn't bother to ring her up and go. You know what? That was so freaking cool. Thank you so much. <laughs> and it was just like, oh yeah, it came out. And then she was like, oh, oh, it sounded great. They did keep it. I mean, useless, useless yeah. communicators. It's an interesting track because everyone gives a lot of credit to the to the singer, which is one hundred percent due. But uh, musically, if you if you can focus away from the singing a bit, the, the there's so much good stuff going on. Yeah. Uh, for me, Roger Waters' bass guitar is just boom. He's really really nailing it, man. Uh, it's a great track in lots and lots of ways eh? it is mm -hmm. it is um yeah so she she um didn't she sue the band in the years uh, that in followed and in, in, in 2005 she sued and they was an out-of-court settlement and her mm. name now appears as a co um co-writer um on it yeah good on um her. which is is good she didn't do it at the time or a lot of time after because she thought it might actually hinder her career mm. um and did it at the end of her career and she's like you're right now i want a bit yeah yeah it is a shame it had to come to that given that like, again yeah. pink floyd and the not particularly good communicators not good um what i would call nice with credits yeah <laughs> the great gig For in the sky for a band that talks a lot about empathy and um and and treating others well they weren't particularly good at it as individuals no yeah yeah that's interesting. That's, this, makes it yeah. very ironic the whole thing this um this rounds off side one right side one we opened with speak to me in the heartbeat yeah mm -hmm. side um track the last track on side one we end was great gig in the sky and in between, we've got breathe on the run in time. It is it is a um, a masterclass in in kind of scripting sort of humanity and you know everything that goes with not just modern life but just life, right? So breathe. Mm. So just yeah. breathe. After you hear the heartbeat, breathe, <laughs> and then you go nuts on the run. You know, you you mad chuck sort of going yeah, time and then great giving the sky. I think it's I think it's wonderful how they've um sort of just the order and the way that they're telling a story there just from the, the sequencing and the way it sort of plays out and they all link up. There are no gaps in between. Yeah. Maybe that's, maybe that's Regular. why it's such a high selling album for so long is it touches mm, so yeah, many yeah. of us because yeah. it's real, mm. you know, Agreed. musically amazing, but the concept is a real concept, right? Mm. Yeah. And every, any, every generation seems to find it, um, and that's one of the reasons why I think it just keeps on trucking. Um, all that, or there's just a lot of pot smokers in the world are just like totally no, no. I think no. it's more than that, though, eh? 
it's it's along the lines of your stairway to heavens and stuff these are these are not just people stoned that come across great rifts they they are building writing manipulating testing experimenting they're they're very very clever people yeah they they yeah they thank goodness we have those people in this world yeah but also you know yeah. as because it's a concept album if you think of like it's peers around that time you know the concept album was kind of like you were, you were kind of talking about wizards and dragons and you know um flower pot men and shit like that, you know <laughs> people weren't doing talking about real feelings in, in like a concept album so i think it's yeah, kind of like one of the first to kind of do that yeah, yeah. you got to yeah, remember it's, it's the 70s yeah that's a good point yeah especially from a bunch of british people who um one didn't share their feelings with each other um, and then they wrote <laughs> this it's like it's insane literally it is insane yeah. ian you mentioned before about roger waters on bass on that last track right so i read somewhere the reason why this album is so tight and why they're, they're at the top of their game on this album is because they toured the damn thing for years prior to it being released so they've oh, done nice. the Beatles, they've done their 10,000 hours and the, the Hamburg days, if you like. Apparently there are some bootlegs out there, right, that are quite good quality. I found quite interesting, good quality, because the guy that took them was in a wheelchair. Did you hear about this story? There's a guy there, was a guy that back in the back in the early, late 60s, early 70s that was renowned for taking the best bootlegs because he had a tape deck that could fit underneath his wheelchair. And because <laughs> he was in a wheelchair, they got him up the front of the concert every time. And he was, he got best audio you could imagine and there are Millard yeah was it Millard was it a name? Millard yeah yeah brilliant so, what yeah, a story I mean, yeah. and and apparently yeah. it just proves that these guys live um had played all of the interpretations that you could imagine of these songs and knew exactly what worked and what didn't they'd done it they'd done it live for mm. years mm. well so they they, both, for great gig in the sky though weren't they apparently because they didn't have obviously the the backing singer doing mm, doing the vocal mm. stuff. They were they were quoting Bible scripture during that section or something. Yeah, they, they, it started off as the mortality piece, and <laughs> oh, it, and and it wasn't particularly good. Um, <laughs> and then they mucked around with it. And this is the thing: they took this thing out on the road and tested it every night, and mm, what mm. worked, what didn't, um, and then came up with a different way of doing it. Yeah, so it, it evolved significantly across 1972. Um, yeah. And yes, again, probably a major part of its success, right? It's not just thrown mm. together like you might think, oh, genius album. Actually, nah, no. they did the lit did the legwork and they wrote. Yeah. At the end of 71, they all met up at someone's kitchen and they were just like, oh, um, I'm bored. Yeah, they were all bored of what they were playing. Um, apart from Echoes, which was we'll talk about later. Um, but yeah, they were bored. And so they wanted actually something tight and useful. Um, and so Rog went, okay, well, how about we do this concept and call it Dark Side of the Moon and or Eclipse? And then that's how it all pieced together. And then they jammed it and then they took it on the road right from the beginning. So mm. those early tapes are pretty shonky when they're playing it live. Mm. Um and then gradually by the end when they were recording at the end of 72 it's pretty mm. it's all there mm. and have i nerded out on those yes <laughs> hey um so this is the eighth studio album mm -hmm. yeah. I, I i thought there was a typo when i read it when they, they, how that can't be they only got together the first was it in 67 is that right mm -hmm. yeah 
So six years, they've done eight albums. Yeah, and Phenomenal. a lot of touring. A and these aren't short albums. These are Pink Floyd albums. <laughs> I'd probably say quite a lot of that's experimental, though. Totally. <laughs> Most of it's not. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> album might be, I'd use that to sort of word loosely, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jam sessions, man. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. All right, so let's get on to the flip side of the album, then, side two. And um, and the first track, probably the most famous track of the album. Let's go with Money. What have I, what have I got here? I Again, I, I might be wrong, but I think it's kind of about sort of materialism. It's interesting. It's like sort of two or three parts to it, so you can – it's quite funny how they explain all the things. But certainly one part is from, you know, super greedy rich people with all their – things and stuff yeah very interesting uh yep is it was it a hit for them i don't know but it it was yeah so pretty cool song a hit song it's a clever song so like i said before i've, I've tried to musically go into these and so looking uh on google that thing martin mentioned before with the french guy that uh, did the samples. I, I wasn't. I didn't know that. But there's a modern day version of that, which they call an organic loop, and it's the same. It's exactly the same thing. It's a. It's a non-musical sound, and um, it it, it sort of creates the musical uh, concept of the song with a sound. So, and it's a really fast way to sort of, um, and it's really effective way as well to get the point across to your, your listeners without actually having to write a whole song about money and actually, you know, what, even though they do that, but the cash register sound gets that straight across to you straight away. You know what this kind of song's going in the direction of what it's about. Um, yeah, it's a very specific kind of thing. So, uh, there was a, there was a little interesting thing I read on the internet, which there was a debate whether Money was actually the first song ever to use that form of looping as a song intro. So uh, I don't know if that's true or not, but possibly. I don't know if it was um, if it was just the byproduct of doing that, or mm. if they kind of intentionally did it. But it's in a weird time as well, right? Because it's in seven. That's right. It's one, so you've two, got... and three, four, five, six, seven, one. Two. So it's quite that's a weird. Right rhythmic thing that's going on with it as well well that's yeah so that's well you got the you got the riff of the song comes mm. after your loop and i think the riff of the song sort of defines the song really it's got that whole and it's got this if you don't know the timing for it martin just bang on there seven four so you count seven. sevens one two three four five six seven one two three four five six seven one two three four five six seven so very clever but also quite confusing the seven four is quite a confusing beat you know to have as yeah. your main <laughs> yep. your main hit not many main songs or hit songs have a seven four tempo man it does swing to the four four it, it does. comes in, yep. so there's a couple of tempos going on. And David Gilmore said that's because he wanted to let rip with the solo, but 
Mm. didn't know how to do it in a seven four so he's like no let's take it back to four and then it's bang on again back to rock city it's it's clever how they've used the seven four so the way i analyze this when i listen to the song fortunately with music i can count that in my head and play so that makes it easy if you don't have that in you like i don't know how to do maths but if you don't have that musical kind of thing going on, they're clever the way they've done it. So the way I've broken this down is they've used that kind of organic loop with the cash register. That kind of gives you a sense of rhythm. That starts the rhythm, then he brings in the riff with that sort of organic noise, and that gets your ears ready for it before you actually get the proper drum kicking in so it's a clever way to do stuff man and it was also quite unusual in that normally when you have a time signature that's odd Mm. so if you've got like seven or nine or eleven or or whatever it's kind of broken up into bits so rather than normally when you've got seven you would break it down into like three beats and then four beats but this doesn't do that this is just seven beats. Yeah, that's <laughs> Which right. Is, this is I think, really, really weird. <laughs> I, think, I think one of them, is it after the first lead break? I think it misses. They skip half a beat or something, don't they? There's something going on. But uh, it's great. It's in the key of B minor. A lot of the songs on the album are in the minor key. But it's a very cool key to write songs in. It means you can get a nice deep bassy notes, which is great. It's got a cool melody. It changes to the 4-4, which is in a blues style, like a 5-4-1 progression with that kind of... And that's really clever for me. That's that's inventive guitaring, you know, sort of semitones. Their early pink, that Sid Barrett sort of stuff had that kind of, that kind of sound. Very good. Uh, yeah, it, and again, this is only from my perspective, but I kind of think of it, it, it for me, it's like a blues song. Uh, Money's like a blues song for me. Like the other one's mm. a bit of a jazz song. Um, you were bang on the money. Yeah, blues, they sing a lot about, you know, poverty and uh, you know missing your woman and all that sort of negative stuff um the scales that he uses dave for the um solos is all mostly pentatonic all that stuff that's your pentatonic All those kind of sort of stuff. So it's like a blue blue song. There's three choruses of the guitar solo. And I found this interesting. I had to Google this because I've always known there's something different going on. So here it is. The first part of the solo is uh, it's a big, loud, typical Floyd uh, Gilmore sound. Big sound. Uh, the second part, he chose to cut all that back and you just have the hi-hats there's no snares hi-hats dry guitars and that was questioned why he wanted to do that and he wanted the feel of the band in the room like uh, guys just jamming without all the stuff going on uh then the third part i found this quite interesting comes to that sort of crescendo the big end part 
and Dave's off ripping it up, shredding it out, and he's got all his, you know, big reverb units going on loud. He actually uses a different guitar for that third part, which I didn't know. So he uses a Fender for the first and second, and the third one on the original uh, apparently uses a custom Lewis guitar, whatever that is. Yeah, uh, much higher, higher note, eh? Right at the end, the Fender can't hit that those notes, yeah. More frets, I don't know. Mm, that's but, it, I think, yeah. Yeah, but it was, I mean, again, from the production side of stuff, he, I think Gilmore had quite a, a reverby big sound through his amps without too much tweaking going on. But, um, yeah, it's got the wonderful uh, sax solo. Let's not forget that. Uh, uh, Dick Perry coming on on sax, just tearing it up, man. And, and again, for a hit song, 7-8, 7-4, sax solo. I mean, these are not common things, man. You know, that's why I kind of like it. You know, it's it's different and catchy, but catchy. You listen to it and go, oh yeah, absolutely. Mm. It's a hook, yeah. It's a heck of a riff. Is it one of the first songs to use a swear word? Bullshit. I, I don't know. Might be hard to tell. Again, risky for the seventies, maybe. It got yeah. put out to. Uh, um, this is like must be like the ultimate one of the ultimate floor collectors items. But it got put out to all the radio stations. Uh, and as, a, as like a, a white label pressing, which is like a promo copy. Um, and the A-side was the, the single in mono with the word censored. And the B-side, they forgot to censor it in stereo. Um, and it went, out, it went out to the radio stations and was recalled like, immediately. Bullshit, 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 all the way yeah. around the head. Yeah. Yeah. It was recalled immediately to be destroyed. But I'm wondering if there's probably one or two that sneaked out, you know, into the into the coat pocket for the radio DJ, I imagine. So there's probably one or two out there, I'd imagine. But I, I dread to think what they would go for on eBay now. My favourite part of the whole song, it's not really the riff. It's uh, the favourite part and the genius of the song for me is that the song never ends. It just fades. And I think with a 7-4 tempo, that's quite interesting. Because if you try, if you play it and end it, it's not quite the same if you try and end it on six four. It just doesn't quite work. So I like the way they just kind of it doesn't end. It fades with that kind of Gilmore, doo -doo, you know that kind of yeah clever stuff, man. Clever, clever stuff. Brilliant. All right, so track number six, us and them. juxtaposition that that big booming full sound trumpets or whatever it is trying to trying to cut through it and then it all comes crashing down and you just get dave isn't it dave on vocals there yeah yeah I, 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 I like his pulse version where he goes down 
drops it down. Oh, does he? Yeah. And uh, he sings down. Yeah, was, yeah, thing. yeah. Sorry. The first thing that <laughs> caught my attention when I, I remember when I heard that at the start, because he comes in um, that same, the, the echo with the echo of his voice in time with the beat. It's so iconic. Right. And it's the thing that sort of sticks. It's almost a hook in itself, the way they've arranged that vocal um, echo. Us and them. This is an interesting one. It's a long song, like you said, Mark. It's almost eight minutes. Um, a um, uh, quite a complex sort song, chord-wise. Uh, maybe Martin you, or Ian, you can uh, expand on why there are so many sevenths in there. They go. They got a D major seventh, B minor seventh, F sharp minor seventh. He's liking the sevenths. A lot of it's to do with the chords overlapping. Mm -hmm. um, what you'll find is they kind of borrow from each other. So one, a seventh chord has four notes in it. Okay, so it has a major chord, which is, mm -hmm. um, you know, if it was C, it would be C, E, and G. And then the seventh note of either the scale, which is the major seventh, or the flattened seventh, which is the dominant seventh. But when you, what you'll find is like, if you took one chord and then the next chord from the song, probably like at least two or three of the notes of the chord overlap. So they're borrowed. So they right. go into the next chord. Yeah, and as yeah. a result, you get this really kind of smooth transition mm. kind of working through it. And I think that's probably a large part of it. Yeah. yeah. Almost because it sounds cool. <laughs> Certainly does. And it's hard to play. So, like most things that are cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. This is, uh, this is a, um, uh, that's a beautiful song. I mean, yeah, it's cinematic in, a, in, in the way it's sort of presented and, yeah. Gilmore's not, he's often criticized his vo for his vocals. Um, I couldn't see that on this song. It's It just suits him. It's got that softness in there that suits his voice and um, beautifully arranged, you know, saxophones, very soulful. Dick Perry, I think, on sax. Um, and, yeah, look, I, um, I chose this one because of um, Gilmore's vocal performance on it. And just the tempo. I just love the fact that it sort of builds up to that crescendo and then bloody hits you smack in the face with it for 20 or 30 seconds and then brings you back down to, you know. Us and them, what's it about? Any takers? Yep. Oh, lots of things, I would say. Oh, yeah, the key, the key. It's basically the heart of the record. Um, it really, that's, that's the big emotional part of the the record effectively the, the the key line in there that um roger talks about a lot is with without and who'll deny that's what the fighting's all about mm. um it's that ability to cut through the us and them bullshit and realize that actually you know what there's no us and them it's just us we are what we are mm. um we're all the same um so why are we constantly inventing or using this construct of us versus them um and because it's well it's bullshit um and likewise yeah it's it's definitely anti-war as well all the yeah. way through yeah yeah, yeah totally mm. and obviously very timely a lot of albums coming out this time right yeah with marvin gay yeah plenty of um you call them protest albums or protests songs mm. um mm. Doing the rounds in the early seventies, Vietnam and all that conflict. Mm. I always found the I always found the chorus of the song lyrically a little bit disappointing. I I just think this the verses have got so much 
that you can relate to in different levels. Mm. Mm. And then he drops in some war chorus, and it's like, ah, it was always a little bit disappointing for me, to be honest. Mm. I like I like it, but I think he could have written something maybe better. It was funny. As a kid, I didn't really like this album. This one, I was like, oh, can we just fast forward it in some ways? want to get to the yeah, next bit. Yeah, I see why. But, yeah, yeah. but now as an adult, um, it's some of those killer lines, like the one I just mentioned before, um, or even that final chorus about, you know, wanted the price of tea in the slice, the old man died. Um, that's sort of, okay, right. So oh, we yeah. sort of, yeah. We get, so you get so busy in your world and you don't realise all these things are happening around you. You don't realise who, who your backing singer was until 2015. <laughs> oh, whoops. I know. Until the, uh, the lawsuit arrived in your, in your office. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and that's the whole thing. Yeah, it, it's bizarre. That, that <laughs> the band from about 1980 could be described as us and them. Yeah, um, yeah, it's... Uh, that, yeah, the irony is not lost on anyone, I don't think. It's an epic mm. song. It's of huge proportions. It's massive. It's a bugger to play. It's epic. It's huge, man. It's a huge song. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it opens and, with us and them, and after all, we're only ordinary men. Correct. Which is really easy. Like, what, two chords, three chords? Yeah. Typical typical floyd on dark side you listen to it you pick up your gat and you like or your keyboard and you think yeah man i'll learn this song it's... and then you get to about halfway through you're like oh nah but it's also what's not there, right? <laughs> yeah i've tried <laughs> very stripped back at, at that point in the song right you've simply got um the vocals you've got that very um you know, the drum beat and everything's basically synced to the drum beat right the vocals and the echoes and that um but really stripped back um and quite powerful um and then of course you know towards the end it just goes off the chart but yeah um love the song and agree it's one of those songs that as a youngster you kind of just want to hit fast forward skip, skip to the end <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, 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 or give me some more give me some more of that time uh, what is it money give me some more of that yeah. money ian the money you're like yeah yeah, money lures you in. Don't do that. Give me that bass. Well, I, th I think this is this is the beauty of the album of Dark Side, right? Not to go on, sorry, but just quickly, this is exactly the the beauty of it. I go to the beach yesterday with a coffee to sit in my car. I pull up in the car park. I'm listening to the Everly Brothers. I turn my engine off. My music goes off. My windows are down. There's a guy in a dirty soily four by four next to me with his windows down what's he listening to us and them <laughs> hilarious and what it's did a you say album nah i just listened to it as worth it with him <laughs> <laughs> i didn't say anything <laughs> yeah so money lured you in that's the lure of money and then hits you with his emotional pull immediately after with us and them totally yeah, yeah. And then going out, coming out of that, we get into any color you like. Again, just something to I don't know, lighten the mood. Um, I think um, I, I, maybe I don't really know much about this one, um, and it's an instrumental piece. Got lots of synths. I think it was really just an opportunity to I don't know have a bit of that jam. 
um, synths and guitars. And then eventually takes us back to breathe again. Breathe kind of makes an appearance three times on the album. Um, there's a Breathe, Breathe Reprise, and then Breathe Coda um, in that sort of form. But I don't, again, know if it's, um, I, I don't know if it's a coincidence, but I so get banned on the run from that one. The yeah, guitars, we do. The tone, the tone and stuff. What else has been recorded in the studio next door? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so that's, um, you know, and that sort of takes you, I don't know, away on a different sort of element. Um I think that's probably is that Richard Wright again influencing that song? Oh, that I sounds so. very jazzy to me, man. Very I would jazzy. think so. Yeah, I think it comes out of that whole breathe jam session that mm. breathe probably was created from. A, um, so that lead lightens the mood a little bit, and then it links into um brain damage, um brain damage and eclipse the the sort of the big finale to the album, um and. Brain damage really talks a little bit about, um, well, mental illness. And um, obviously there's a link back to Sid Barrett, who was in the band, um, particularly the classic line in there, if the band you're in starts playing different tunes, I'll see you on the dark side of the moon. Um, and, and dark side of the moon at that time, and I think it still does sometimes, reflects the, well, you, can, you can only see the light side of the moon, you can't see the dark side, and it's always sort of hidden away. And when you go a bit crazy, they used to hide people away quite a lot back then. Um, and it wasn't talked about. But so, yeah, this, this sort of interesting little sort of, I don't know, you'll probably be able to explain it better, Martin and Ian, the, the piece of music. Um, but really, that's what the, the song's all about around maybe even some of the idiocies around um, politics. The lunatic is on the grass. The grass is also, you know, that idea that, people grow nice bits of lawn and don't let people go on it. That That's insane in itself. Um, and there, there's all these little elements around um, sort of mental illness or just that weirdness of life and basically urging you to I resist it in some ways. I think it's, uh, I think brain, uh, was it, is it eclipse where they start singing? And if I see you on the, or is that brain that's damage? Brain, that's brain damage. Yeah. Brain damage. I yeah. think that's probably, I think that's one of the best songs I've ever probably heard. I just think it's such a good lyric all the way through it. You can relate to all of it. It's so melodic and catchy, man. It's just mm. a, a really great way to end an album. Probably I would choose no other song to go out mm. than with that. Just brilliant. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're sitting there and you're, we've all had days where we're sitting at work and you're like, am I on the same planet as everybody else? Yeah. What the hell's going on here? And you've probably had band members where Ian, you're standing there and you're like, what are they playing? 
what the hell's going on? We all, we've all had those days. We've all been there. Um, and I think that's what makes it sound good. So for any listeners who haven't heard Brain Damage, I'll just play a little wee bit of it. drums those drums sound humongous and, and and the drums in that organ and that swirly organ i think yeah. it's a hammond i'm not sure um it's the first song that roger sings on the album he sings the last two um and yeah probably suits his styles a bit better um the whole sounds huge that's mm. just a huge song huge mm. um yeah I, I i love it to bits i think it's um you know, just when you hear it, you know, that you, you had those dark forebodings. And two, um, I'll see you on the dark side of the moment. It, we're all in this together. And if we could try and fight some of that darkness, then we might be right. Or you can embrace it and go mental. And that's kind of what it's also maybe about too. And then you get to Eclipse. Yeah, Eclipse. So the last track on the album. Um, kind of interesting. It, it's one of those ones that's got one of these little sand bites in it. Um, which kind of sums up the whole thing, really. Um, and it's actually the, the doorman from Abbey Road Studios, a guy named Jerry O'Driscoll. Uh, and he's heard speaking around about about well, three quarters of the way through the track. And he's asked the question they asked him was, what is the dark side of the moon? Uh, which, to which he replied, there is no dark side of the moon, really. And matter of fact, it's all dark. Um, and <laughs> it cuts off at that point, but there's actually another line to it. Apparently, and that is that he actually said the only thing that makes it look a light is the sun, and that that line's missing off the album. In fact, there's a couple of things. Depending on the why. mix that you get, there are numerous mixes of this track, like the last track on the album, and um, there's a Beatles bit. I don't know if you know this one, but um, if you listen carefully at the end of it, depending on which tape, which mix you have, you can actually hear an orchestral version of "Tickets to Ride." playing very, very quietly in the background. And that was a complete accident. It was uh, actually one Was of... it or was it Paul? Again. <laughs> Bloody Paul. Bloody Paul. Bloody heavy yeah. road. Um, as as they were recording this interview with, with the doorman, um, there was a, a an orchestral band playing in the studio next door doing covers of Beatles songs. And as a result, if you listen really, really carefully, you get a ticket to ride. Right. But it's not on the CD, the standard CD one, but it is on the immersion one, um, no. which is like a box set that they did later on. And um, I'll see if I can cue this up for you and give you a bit of this. You're going to have to probably crank it up at home to kind of hear this. 
because it is very, very quiet. But uh, let's see if we can get this going for you. Oh, yeah, there it is. I can hear something. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there it is. There it is. It's there. What the hell? I didn't actually get the melody, but I could definitely hear there was something in the background there. Yeah, so depending on, on which version of the uh, release, which release you have, um, yeah, on, I think it was on uh, a Japanese reissue or something. It was actually taken out um, and and replaced with, the, um, with more of the heartbeat. Mm. Um, sound effect from the beginning of the album. Um, probably because Macca probably tried to sue him for some more money. Right? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Didn't want my vocals at the start. You're not going to have my song at the end. Yeah. <laughs> so what I thought I'd do to kind of cap, cap this off and kind of give it to you is, is a quote directly from Roger Waters. Um, and talking about the album, he said, I don't see it as a riddle. The album uses the sun and the moon as symbols, the light and the dark, the good and the bad. The life force as opposed to the death force. Um, I think it's a very simple statement saying that all good things in life uh, can offer us are there for us to grasp, but that the influence of some dark force in our natures prevents us from seizing them. The song addresses the listener and says that if you, the listener, are affected by that force, and if that force is a worry to you, well, I feel exactly the same too. The line, I'll see you on the dark side of the moon, is me speaking to the listener saying, I know you have these bad feelings and impulses because I do too. And one of the ways I can make direct contact with you is to share with you the fact that I feel bad sometimes too. There you go. Yeah, yeah it's a good point too. Eh? I think Ian noted something right at the beginning of March about Men's Health Week and stuff like that. I mean, or Health Month. And um, yeah, I mean, seriously, it is a direct sort of plea and you know, for us to consider this stuff and talk about it. And yeah. And then Eclipse is all about all that you touch, all that you see is all your life will be. It's about being here now. Don't worry about all that stuff in the future. It'll be what it'll be. Just you've only got now and what you can do with now, for example. All right. Well, that kind of wraps up the album. But uh, any any favorite track, guys? I was just thinking of a different way to write Breathe. Which would be, which would be like What's that. What's your woman? Fuck. What's your woman? Breathe, breathe in the air. <laughs> no, I, I, re I really loved covers of 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 it um, because that would, the words that are would all be weird. amazing, and then it would be absolutely amazing if you sung that in French as well. Just an accordion going, <laughs> I, I, look, I really love covers of the. I think it's fantastic because I mm. like hearing the different arrangements well, instead of playing it and playing it identical to the album. It's hold cool on, and all, hold, but I do hold, like a bit nah, of. No, no, no. Hold your you horses, Thurston, because I got to back you up on that. I there are two cover versions of "Breathe" that I listened to that are on Google. One was by the Flaming Lips, and the other mm -hmm, was by mm -hmm. the Green something or other. The mm. who's up, somebody green or something and are they and terrible are they they're both shit <laughs> i mean absolutely i mean just you know oh the flaming lips live at uh, glastonbury and the sea of green and yeah i mean honestly nah don't touch it man 
All right, fair call. Yeah, just <laughs> it's a master, it's a masterpiece. Just Love leave it. 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 Took a minute to tell us that. <laughs> I think f- for me, it's an album that I'll keep on coming back to. It's my warm, I don't know, warm blanket album. Um, it keeps on speaking to me over all these years, and it probably always will. Um, yeah, I think it's a fabulous record. And again, it's one of those things. The songs by themselves, yeah, all right, but it's the whole piece. You're in for the whole ride, um, and um, that's pretty special. When I like everything, I like the artwork, I like the song names, I like the songs. I just like everything. You like the stickers, it. Ian? Did you like the stickers? I, I never got a sticker. You didn't get, a, get sticker? a sticker. I can I can help you out with that. I've got a few. It's an inspirational album. I mean, you know, and again, for, uh, talking from a musician sort of side of it, not just general listening, but the, I got to say that this pr- would probably inspire anyone to, to go and try and write something, either just lyrically or maybe musically and lyrically. It's It's got everything there. Really, if you want to, if you're thinking of, uh, if you're listening to our show and you're thinking of, you want to dabble in some music writing or maybe some poetry or lyrics, man, just really listen to Dark Side because even if you don't write a song as epic, that, you know, some of that gives you an example of, yeah. you know, that that's you probably catch, won't. Which you won't. <laughs> yeah. Sorry to tell you, but I ain't going to fucking have a bitch your butt you. Just tell you right now. But uh, basically it will allow you to, hear and understand that it, well, okay with two chords i can come up with something or and then let roger waters guide you lyrically it's just such a it's such a huge mm. album it's so good i think um musically speaking as well it, it's an important lesson in in making use of the resources that you've got rather than aspiring to have more and more gear or more and more resources that you can use this album was recorded on 16 tracks you know, mm-hmm. we live in a day and age where we have unlimited tracks now, but you know, 16 tracks to put those ideas down mm-hmm. and, and it just, you know, it really is testament to kind of Alan Parsons production mm-hmm. really as well. I mean, all mm-hmm. of the band were producing it, you know, during like great gig in the sky, they were, they were kind of trying to, they're experimenting with this idea of quadraphonic of doing surround sound in 1973. Um, but in order to mix it, they literally had every engineer in Abbey Road plus the band on the mixing desk, each with a channel each, trying to kind of like swirl the hammer all around the room kind of thing. To kind of get these that. effects out. That's so cool. That's <laughs> so cool, man. Yeah? No and computers needed. Like, yeah, no computers needed, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, it is about just your, your own creativity and, and, and using, using your, your knots, you know, and just kind of really um, diving into trying to experiment it's an experimental album, and that's the thing with it, right? Which, well, I mean, they're an experimental band, but this album particularly, in terms of production, is probably, like, their most experimental album, more so probably than Sergeant Pepper. Um, I'm going to put up on um, Facebook listeners um, a, a little clip. I managed to find a bizarrely an Easter egg. You know, remember those stupid Easter eggs on DVDs back in the day? I found one. Um and it only took what 20 years and 
it's got an, an interview that they did with Roger the Hat um, Manifold. He was one of the roadies. He's the one who said, oh, well, you know, whenever you last thumped somebody, I gave him a short, sharp shock. Oh, anyway, yes. they, uh, Roger Waters asks him a question. Why did bands split up? And he goes, egotism. I think it's egotism. You know, when one cat thinks he's bigger than the rest of them, you know, and yeah, it's egotism, and it's like, oh my god, it's like force foreshadowing. Yeah, yeah. My, uh, the prophet speaks. The prophet speaks. The stone as dude man speaking, and that bizarre laugh. It's very, very funny. I found it funny. Now, something that's very interesting, for instance, is what's your? Why do you think? What's your personal opinion about why do you think a lot of bands split out? <sighs> Egotism, I would say. Uh, I would say mainly egotism. Uh, you get a band that enjoys a certain degree of success when they enjoy the success. Unfortunately, it's the same as having a bad apple in a fucking barrel, man. You always get one that fucking thinks he can do a little bit better. Dig it? And uh, in some cases it's successful, in some it fucking ain't. And that's where it's at. That's one reason. There are many other fucking reasons, man, but that's one. I would say that is um, the one that immediately comes to mind. Egotism. I along with that. Mm. Well, listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, I hope you've enjoyed that. We, we certainly have tonight, and um, we look forward to coming up with some new stuff for you for next week. Um, take care, and uh, keep keep watching the skies. All right, thanks. Good night. Thanks, Martin. Thank you, Madam. Thanks, Madam. Thanks, Madam.